All right. So today you wanted to talk about the various bits of technologies that have moved their way from the motorsport world to the everyday world. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I thought, hey, man, I thought that might be interesting in the sense that uh, there is a lot of there's a lot of technology that has moved from the racing world, including F1. Mm hmm. But, you know, from other areas, like even predating F1 into the, you know, the world that we use. So I thought that might be kind of fun to discuss a few of those innovations that have come our way. Um, cool. And I wanted to go over some, just a few of the tech things that came our way, innovations. It, it, you know, the, the goal here is to kind of remind ourselves or, you know, show other people if they're not familiar, you know, how racing benefits the real world. Because sometimes people think, oh, it's just a bunch of cars going around in a circle, you know, but there's actually, you know, all of our passenger vehicles have been impacted by the racing world. So interesting. And I, yeah, I thought that would be interesting. And then, the, but the other thing I wanted to talk about that's going to be more interesting is safety. And this is something that I've been aware of for decades is, you know, oh. you will, you know, that on a motorcycle or a race car, you, you, you dress yourself for the potential of an accident. Right. Yeah. But in passenger cars, you don't do that. So that's what I wanted to talk yeah. about secondarily. Is like, you know, that's actually interesting. You In a, any, any motorcycle rider obviously would at the very least be wearing a helmet if they're smart. But obviously, you also <laughs> want to be wearing like a jacket and pads and good boots and gloves and all that other stuff. Yeah. But you don't see that in a in a car. Like that's actually silly. Can you imagine? Well, that, can well, you we'll, imagine we'll get somebody... to that. I, I address all those <laughs> issues, so that's what we, we'll get to that. In a but second. just but, yeah. the mental image of somebody hopping in their like their like soccer mom minivan and like. <laughs> Right. And like, and like full Dianese racing leathers with like a crash helmet. Well, you know, and yeah, and there is some question, is it even legal to do some of those things? Uh, okay. Um, you okay. Know, interesting. It, which is even more interesting to think about if it isn't, you know, but, yeah. <laughs> or is it potentially, is it, would it be dangerous in a passenger car situation? Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So okay. there's, you know, there's some things like that to consider, but anyway, Okay. But yeah, as far as tech stuff, I just wrote, and these are not in chronological order in in the sense of the age and when they came into being, but sure. But okay. I did kind of find the first one, I think, that go, comes from the early 1900s. So I'll start with one of the first. What do you think is the first thing that we would consider a safety feature? They still exist on modern cars that came into the production car world without Googling. I don't want to hear a keyboard. From the race, no. from the racing world, what would you say I mean, is the first one? You said from the early 1900s. Yeah, I'm gonna assume it's something very fundamental like brakes. Okay, it is something very fundamental, but not brakes. But not brakes. Okay, Car, cars have think, always had brakes. Uh, production cars, anyway. I thought like originally you just kind of like downshifted and prayed was kind of how you slowed down yeah 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 the, yeah, the cartoons put put your feet down through the floor where no, that never existed right, right. in the real world <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay 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 maybe uh, okay so not brakes actually did the original bicycles didn't have any brakes um yeah i don't know i'm drawing a blank it's I, gonna be something sure. it's something nondescript that every car has and um it's so simple you wouldn't think of it the rear view mirror oh 
Rearview mirrors yeah, okay. actually came. They start. They were used in race cars because, like, hey, I want to see who's behind me and how close they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that was okay, one of the first interesting. Things. Yeah, yeah. So that that came around very early, and you know, probably side view mirrors and everything else. But but you yeah. know, using mirrors to to view what's going on behind you um, came around very very early in the early racing days. So. Um, but other things like this is kind of interesting from like the rally car world is where we got independent suspension, like four wheel independent suspension oh. and all wheel drive. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense because right. like the, the standard or the 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 more typical types of suspension would really not be effective in a rally situation. So that it makes sense that that would that technology would come out of rallying. Yeah, you That's need you need to keep like if you have all wheel drive and you don't want to spin the tires or have them in the air, then yeah, you need independent suspension. So you have power on the ground at all times for maximum traction and speed. Do you know when that happened? Like what year roughly? I don't know the year roughly, but I mean, thinking about it, I don't believe you started hearing much about all wheel drive until maybe the eighties, nineties. So, yeah, the I think the first the it was the Audi Quattro I think was in the eighties yeah. when that came in. So it probably and, was started yeah. being used either in the late seventies or you know seventies. Uh, yeah, and then that would make sense. Yeah, production. So now another yeah. thing that we're seeing more and more in cars today that also came from the racing world is like um, what they call DSG or direct shift gearboxes and clutchless manual oh. transmissions, aka using paddle shifters. All that came from oh. actually Formula One. Yeah, paddle shifters. Actually, yeah, no, came yeah, from Formula One. Wasn't it Ferrari that had the first paddle shifters, or was I it? Don't know who had the first. Was it Williams? Because I know Williams had a lot of technical innovations back in the day, yes, too. Yes, yes. I don't remember. Yeah, they did, and uh, Ferrari did, Mercedes did. You know, obviously. Um, Volkswagen Audi, they're the ones that kind of design, like pioneer the direct shift gearbox stuff, but you know, DSG and the clutchless manual transmissions. But now they're more, Aha, more I was right. Please, Google says Ferrari was the first ones to do the paddle shifters. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And what so, year was that? Yeah, 97. Okay, now, now that's interesting that that may seem a long time ago to you, but that doesn't seem that long ago to me because they're ubiquitous on, on yeah, any oh, yeah. kind of sports car nowadays. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, <laughs> my Corolla has my, my Corolla has paddle shifters. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> when you switch it to, to manual, because can, it can be yeah. automatic or kind of manual, and when yeah. you do that, it has paddle shifters. Well, so, yeah, yeah, and then you also have these advanced automatic transmissions that do a gear-to-time type shifting. Um, oh yeah you know okay. which you have to have which also kind of came from the racing world you know so you can't make a mistake it limits human error makes it quicker um, mm -hmm. but that's the other thing is you don't see manual transmissions anymore and that i thought it was because well nobody can drive a stick anymore everyone has to have an automatic because they're idiots but you know <laughs> but the <laughs> the real reason is that automatic transmissions are much better than they used to be so oh yeah in the older yeah, days yeah. You know, like when I was young, you if you want if you had a performance car or of course motorcycles are still this way, you um you you, you shifted and because that was the quickest mm -hmm. way to get power down to the rear wheel. And nowadays, mm -hmm. you know, if you have these like seven, ten speed transmissions and if they have, mm -hmm. you know, sequential shifting and paddle shifting, you know, you can get the power down pretty darn quick. And I know um in our family we we have a uh, 
uh, Passat, you know, uh, Volkswagen Passat that has DSG, and that car is amazing. Oh. It's amazing to put it in sport mode and use those paddle shifters. And oh, nice. On, nice. on wet roads, yeah. I've spun the front tires at speed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just playing around with it. It's like, nice. wow, you know, this actually works. Um, yeah. So another thing has to do with, uh, not surprisingly, tires. And so you have like so okay. softer compound tires being used that come from racing, like on sports cars, you get, you have even some tires, which I've seen this and I really didn't connect the two, to be honest, but they have like less grooves and not as deep of grooves for getting mm. water out from underneath mm -hmm. the tire, preventing aquaplaning, uh, hydroplaning in America. But um, yeah, but those, that's a racing thing because, you know, like we have the enters in Formula One and then the full weds mm -hmm. and the intermediates and stuff like that. But the soft compound is a racing thing. That of all the things is not, that's, that's the least surprising to me, but I also didn't think about it. Right. Is because <laughs> I remember back in the fifties, I think even that early in both Indy and Formula One, they were already playing around like some of the innovators at the time yeah. were playing like um, Shelby, Carol Shelby and, and others were playing around with different types of tires. And they noticed that that just gave a massive performance in increase. Mm -hmm. I remember some story off the top of my head and I don't remember who exactly it was, but basically this guy at the time, all he did, he had a same engine as everyone else or near enough. And all he did was just change the tire compound and he he like dominated. <laughs> That's all he did. Right. And and the trend now and is like, to have softer compounds, but that wear the you know, that don't wear out like soft, but yeah. they still give performance. And I know in the motorcycle world they'll mix compounds. I'm sure they do it in the car world too, but maybe, maybe not, because motorcycle tires are more round. But the like the center mm -hmm. of the tire is a harder compound than the than the side of the tire. Because when you're oh interesting yeah when you're leaned over you're on the sides of the tire where you need softness to keep from sliding, but you know oh, but as you, if you're just that's going, brilliant actually it, it is brilliant you know and, and some of the touring tires take that to a you know that's how they get that um all the mileage on there and so mm -hmm. yeah it's just it's kind of interesting I'm not up on which brands have have it mastered now and all that sort of thing but yeah but that is a common thing with motorcycle tires. Nice. So, okay, moving on, we have, you know, cars originally had drum brakes all the way around. Drum brakes mm -hmm. were like some of our original braking. But mm -hmm. um, disc brakes came into racing. I'll, I'll, this will be a little trivia question. When, when do you think disc brakes entered the racing world? A decade in the 20th century. Yeah, it's going to be one of those things that's like surprisingly early or surprisingly late. So it's either going to be like the 60s or 70s or it's going to be like the late 90s. Actually, it was the it was the 50s. I'll just It was the 50s. It okay, see there you go. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so it entered the the now it certainly didn't enter the production car world in the 50s you right know, maybe yeah. on uh, some higher end jaguars or you know Aston yeah Martins or oh whatever, you know but... i do remember that because i think in the whole ford versus ferrari saga they had disc brakes that they actually had to replace the whole like braking like yes. the calipers and, and everything all at once right yeah so, that yeah, which yeah. is in racing they'll do that sometimes if they have to they'll just like rip off they have these yeah detachable hubs or whatever and the whole thing comes up but yeah um and then of course in the modern era we we've we know about ceramic disc brakes and those are mm -hmm. making their way into the production car world but another thing that's braking related that 
came from the airplane industry, but it showed up in racing before oh. production cars is ABS. Really? Yeah. ABS that came was from used planes? On, it, it, yeah, because uh, think about it. You know, when they land, they have all this weight and they have to dissipate it. Oh. And on, I think it was actually from the military, like on a British bomber, from what I read. You know, wow. It, and that, you know, so it can slow it down on a wet, wet tarmac, perhaps icy without oh, sliding off because yeah. these planes weigh so much and they're so expensive. Yeah. So somebody developed a, like this pulsating modulating braking system, probably nothing like what we have know today is ABS, but yeah, like the, yeah. The, the basics were there. Yeah. The principle and then eventually was the same. Yeah. It was tried in Formula One. You know, and um, it was like, hey, you know, this could this could be beneficial in certain conditions, like wet conditions in a mm. race car. And then, you know, that didn't make it to motorcycling to like really the 90s, but the late 80s, BMW brought ABS into motorcycling before anybody else did. Didn't they but, ban ABS in Formula One at some point, though? Ban ABS. They I don't know. That's possible because they don't was, use it, it now. Right. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know what the FIA in Formula One does, but ABS is still used in different types of racing. Right, right, right. That that one's not necessarily a Formula One. Now, the other thing, and this would be hilarious if you did this to your Corolla, is rear wings. Oh, (laughs) hey, people do it, man. People do it. Well, I know it's 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 a joke now, but, you know, but. On some cars, it isn't. You know, if you have a supercar, it's going to have a rear wing. You know, now usually oh, yeah. adjustable, and it comes up at speed, and you know things like that. But, uh, but rear wings create downforce, so at higher speed, the car doesn't get loose. And mm-hmm. in the Formula One world, if you wonder what happens, even in a straight line to a Formula One car without a rear wing, there's plenty of videos about cars. <laughs> <laughs> losing mm-hmm. the rear wing even on a straight and losing all traction in the rear so oh yeah yeah very very important and then other things like from hood scoops to ram air systems serpo superchargers and turbocharging oh, all that yeah. came from the racing world now yeah. again crossover with the with the um, airplane world too with aeronautics you know okay. for turbos okay. and things like that but but they showed up on you know terrestrial four wheel based vehicles in the racing scenes first, and then they uh, you know made it their way into you know our cars like you know like right now in Formula One we're using a like dual turbocharged six cylinder engine you know or whatever, mm, it is. Mm-hmm. and that's what they're using and you know it's what Mercedes is using so that the trend now is you know we don't make V eights anymore except in larger vehicles, yeah and. Um, but they're using these, you know, and sometimes even like a dual uh, turbocharged four cylinder engine is getting to be more common. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, these tiny little, you know, sub two liter motors with two turbochargers on them. Now, you're going to give up longevity in the passenger car world when you do that, just to right. let people know, because you're asking an awful lot of a four cylinder engine at that point. But, yeah. you know, so. if I, I think that's part of why. V8s were so ubiquitous in the in America in just regular cars for so long. It's just because they they were so easy to maintain and fix, and they just worked. <laughs> like, well, that's the thing. Like a yeah, the Chevy 350 small block small yeah. block V you know V8 350. That motor's bulletproof. It's yeah. and it's still used 
when people do restorations and things yeah, yeah. today. A small block V8. I had my first car had a 350 with high compression heads in it from the factory mm. and had that small block V8. And that motor was bulletproof. I put that thing through heck and didn't <laughs> change the oil. Reg- I was 16, you know, didn't change oil like I should have mm. and stuff. And yeah. the thing never, I never had a problem with it. Yeah. So now here's another one that comes from the early days of racing. Ooh, okay. This is a this is a technical innovation from the early days. Okay. The dual overhead cam, DOHC, that oh. you see on engines that started you know, becoming more prevalent in the 70s and then certainly into the 80s. But the dual overhead cam systems, that came from racing as well. Okay, so, interesting. But that started like early, early in racing. Or some early racing engines, like 1910s or 20s, had those had a dual overhead cam. So they, instead of just using one camshaft, you know, they they thought, hey, you know, we have a V8 or whatever, so let's give, you know, what well, mm. you had to on a V8. But yeah, yeah. But even on inline motors, you know, things like that, different cams for the intake valves and exhaust valves, you know, lighter weight, spin faster, that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, and then lastly, um, well, not there's two more real quick. Um, wind tunnel design, so kind of aero type stuff and wind tunnel designs. Mm-hmm. Um, that really came from the racing world and, and then oh, yeah. quickly made its way into the passenger car world, you know, where where people pay attention to the shape of a car and um, wind deflection True. and things like that. And yeah, because it, you, it you... sort of looks. Go ahead. No, yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, because you, you have this trend since the. Uh, I'd say maybe the 80s, but probably more like the 90s is really when it started to kick off of just all production cars moving from a very boxy design to a more sleek and arrow, at least designing with arrow in mind, even like a regular sedan or something. And that yeah, that the, all the came. Auto, yeah, I was going to say the automotive industry like goes back and forth because look at like the art deco teardrop type. Oh, no, that's true. And, 30s can, and 40s. You can actually trace that because like the very, very first yeah. cars were very boxy. And then they moved to right. a much more kind of rounded, sleek design in like the 30s and 40s. Yeah, the 30s. The 30s were the yeah. first decade where they really did the teardrops. And, yeah. You know, it was a the shape of the day, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then like the 30s and, or sorry, the 40s and 50s, it went more boxy. And then in like the 60s and not really yeah. in the 70s, but it, it kind of went rounded again. And then it, it does kind of go back and forth. And we're... Well, the, the 60s were pretty... 60s were kind of squared off again for the most part. Maybe it's the know, 50s I was thinking of, yeah. Well, they were getting away from the, like, the big old... Remember, they have the big old fenders, like, on the 59 Cadillac. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. probably the best yeah. example with those gigantic fins on the back, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's more the 50s I was thinking of that went yeah. back to the sleek design, yeah. What I like about the 50s design is you had the beginning of, like, the like the rockets and, you know, satellites oh, yeah, yeah. and things like that, and, and you know, you, you were getting close to... We were launching different kinds of rockets in the Sputnik era, but you had that reflected in the 50s and early 60s in car design, you know, with... These very futuristic um, space kind of oriented thing. I, I love the those designs and cars from that era. They just look neat to me. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. so moving on, then we uh, the other thing is is basically just lighter, stronger materials that's used in um, production oh, yeah. cars. I imagine the, I'm gonna guess that that type of mentality originally came from aeronautics as well. 
Certainly, like things like aluminum were used yeah. in airplanes forever because it's light and strong. It replaced mm-hmm. wood, you know. But, um, but I remember, and it's not used as much as it used to be. But titanium, I remember when in the seventies, titanium was a big thing. Oh yeah, like, yeah. If you were building a race motor, you could get titanium lifters and rocker rocker mm. cover rocker arms. You know, it's like now titanium can be brittle so i don't think it lasted as long as it was you know as other things but yeah you know, then nowadays carbon fiber and then today you have a lot of faux carbon fiber but carbon fiber has pluses mm-hmm. and minuses you know and you know things like that but isn't like the entire structure of an f1 car carbon fiber like pretty much the entire structure i mean not the I entire but like the main the... body the the wings the all the aero parts all the like it, most of it, I think like the pods, the side pods, I would think are carbon fiber. Um, yeah. Yeah. There, there, a lot of it is. And yeah, the front end suspension is carbon. The brakes are carbon. The yeah. floor is carbon. So now I'm sure there's a, some type of chromoly tubing used. I, well, I'm not sure, but I imagine there's some sort of tubing used in conjunction with the carbon fiber parts, but like for the safety cell cell for the mm, yeah, yeah, cell, yeah. because carbon tends to shear if it, you know, yeah, but it's, yeah, but they're, yeah, it's, there's, they're used with, you know, the best components you can buy yeah, and make. And then, but that sort of thing, like, will, will we see a, a sports car with carbon fiber suspension? Maybe. Uh, yeah, know, yeah. In, who knows? In the, in the supercar wars, what I'm sure one will show up somewhere. You know, I mean, if it works, people will do it. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Well, this has been part one of how racing innovations have impacted the broader world. So be sure to tune in next week for part two. But don't go anywhere because we are on to the hot seat. All right, so who's in the hot seat this week? You're in the hot seat this week, buddy. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so what you got? Finally, it's not me. Okay, all right. I've got one for you. You may not. uh, We'll see. We'll see. I think this will be interesting. All right, all right. Okay, so now we know there are a few drivers we, we know that these formula one guys the drivers right they make they make a they make a good pretty good paycheck you know they're <laughs> true they're true. not living paycheck if they are they're spending a heck of a lot of money but right. anyway um, right. and but the question is we know some of them for tax purposes and other reasons you know maybe the weather the fact they speak english there but a lot of them some of them live in monaco that's their Oh, true. Primary residence. So my question for you is of the current batch of drivers and let's say within the last, you know, five, 10 years drivers, which drivers do you, which drivers live in Monaco? Which F1 drivers have list Monaco as their primary residence, even though they have homes all over the world, but their primary residence is Monaco. Mm, Interesting. Take it away, Matt. Interesting, interesting. So I would bet that Charles Leclerc is like a, a a guarantee, right? Yeah, he was. I think he grew up there. Yeah, he was born and raised in Monaco. I imagine yeah. he still lives in Monaco. Yep. Okay. I'm also gonna say Max Verstappen. I think he does. That is yep. his primary. Cool. Residence, cool. All right. Two for Monaco. two. All right. Uh, let me think. I'm also gonna say. Ooh. Uh, I think Toto Wolf does. Well, we're sticking with drivers. 
Just drivers. Okay. Uh, let's go Bottas. I think Bottas. He is one that lives there. Oh, wait. Hey, yes, three for he... three. All right. All right. Okay. I'm on a roll. Um, I'm going to say Lewis does not. I think he lives in England, correct? <clears throat> Lewis. Seriously? Lewis does? That's his primary residence. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. Uh, then let me think. Okay, I'm just going to go out on a limb and just say all of them do. <laughs> <laughs> not all of them. But most? No, I just, I'm not giving you hints. You can't just do a, a wide okay, sweep okay. like that. You have to guess, or if you think you've hit the limit, you know, then then I'll tell you if you missed any. I'll go through team by team. So we, we said Max did, so I'm going to say Perez does not live there. I bet he lives in Mexico. <clears throat> he lives there too. <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> nope. Okay, okay. Not that this is going to hold true for the all of it, but go ahead. Okay, so Ferrari, Leclerc does. I'm going to say Carlos does. Science? Yeah, Carlos Science. Okay, let me make sure. No, he does not. He does He does not. Okay. No. Okay. Uh, yeah, Lovely. pretty sure. Yeah, he lives in Spain. All right, so then Mercedes, we know Lewis does. Russell, I'll, I'll bet Russell does. I bet Russell does. No, he's not on the list. Now, he might, but he's not on this list. This is December 2021. As of that date, he did not. As of a year ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He may now, but he didn't then. All right. So Alpine, I'm going to say Fernando Alonso does. He does not. No? No. It's not everybody. Okay. Well, Ocon does. Ocon? Yeah. No. uh, He does not. No? No. Man, okay, I'm I'm like falling apart here. All right, McLaren, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Ricardo does and Norris does not is what I'm Ricard- gonna say. Uh, Daniel Ricardo does, and what was the next one? You're you're right on that. Norris. Lando Norris does not. Uh let me see here. Do, 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 do. Correct. Norris does not. Norris does not. Okay, cool. All right. So then for Aston, Vettel does not and Stroll does not. Vettel does not, and Stroll does not. Cool. All right. And then let me think. For Alpha, we looked at Bottas already. And then Zhou, I'm going to say Zhou Guan Yu does not live. No, he does not. Okay. And then Haas Schumacher. I'm going to say Mick Schumacher does, and Kevin Magnussen does not for Haas. Uh, Mick Schumacher does not live in Monaco. Oh, darn. Then what do we have? Who am I missing? Alphatari. So let's say Pierre Gasly does and Yuki Sonoda does not. Gasly is not on the list and Darn. neither is Sonoda. Okay. Well, I was half right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then who am I? Is it just Williams left? Is that all? Yeah. But again, this, this expands into recent history too, you know, or, you know, a little okay. more, but those, I don't expect you to know some of the other drivers, but. Yeah, I'm only going through current drivers because I'm not I'm not sure yeah. about the rest. But for Williams, let me say Albon and Latifi. I'm gonna guess neither of them do. Albon does. Latifi Albon does, does man. Do. I was thinking he probably did. Why did I say that? <laughs> All right. So let me give you the ones you missed. Okay. <laughs> Antonio Giovinazzi lives in Monaco. Giovinazzi, okay. Alex Albon lives in Monaco. Nick DeVries okay. lives in Monaco. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Paul DeResta 
lives in Monaco. Okay, the commentator. Nico Hulkenberg lives in Monaco, as does Daniel Kvyat. Interesting. Perez, we already talked about. There's a guy named Stoffel Van Dorn that lives Stoffel there. Stoffel Van Dorn, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. he lives there. And so does DC. David Coulthard lives there. Okay. Nico Rosberg lives there, as well as Mika Hakkinen. Mika, wow. From, okay. Yeah, that's an older name. Gerhard Berger, old Ferrari driver from the 80s. He lives there, late 80s, you know. And wow. Ricardo Patrese lives there. Okay, so as, wow. as of a year ago, those were the F1 drivers. Quite a list. Wow, that is quite a list. So, you know. That's cool. That's Yeah, they're the ones that are there. So there you go. That's cool. It's a good question. Just to like, where did these guys have their residence? I was surprised to see Lewis. I would not have guessed that all those guys lived there. They almost have to for tax purposes. You know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess Monaco, it literally, I don't know if, if anyone listening has looked at Monaco on a map, it is tiny. So it, it pretty tiny. much has to be a tax haven. <laughs> Well, you know, it's a principality, there. you know, but it's for the everything's extremely expensive there. True. Extremely, like ultimately yeah. expensive. But yeah. people like this can afford to live there. And they put their money into, you know, fine dining and, and very expensive condos and things. But yeah, true. It, or they have a yacht or and or a yacht in the harbor, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. But but it is a tax haven for them. There's good weather all year long. Uh, it's True. a very safe country. True. And I believe they speak English there. So um, Interesting. Yeah, actually, there is a note here that says George Russell currently rents a flat in a posh area of London, but he's still... Oh, but he is planning on moving to Monaco, <laughs> so he may be <laughs> there already. Yeah. Now, Sebastian Vettel, where does he live? You knew he wasn't in Monaco. Where do you think he lives? I would bet Germany somewhere, but I, I don't know. He lives Switzerland. in Switzerland. Okay. Yeah, he actually does. So, okay. Uh, where do you think Gasly lives? Gasly. Um, I would bet uh, it's either like France or Italy, I guess. Correct. Pick one. Uh, France. <laughs> Wrong. Italy. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> he lives in Milan. He okay, moved there okay. in uh, 20, 2019, so he lives in Milan. So Okay, okay. Anyway. Uh, oh, yeah, there, cool. there you go. So there's there now again. These these folks are fortunate enough to own properties all over the world, and they right. who knows how much time they spend in Monaco, but they all yeah. have their residence there. So, well, they can only spend so much because they're literally all over the world for most of the year. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that's cool. I though. know. That's I think cool. Lewis or Ricardo has a home, and you know, obviously he's from Australia, so he has something there, and then he has a home in L.A. Like. Uh, yeah, Beverly Hills and and a place in Monica. So we don't need to feel sorry for Daniel Ricciardo. <laughs> nah, <laughs> he's nah, he's done well for himself. He's know. at this point he's earning a paycheck for being a reserve driver, which is yeah. you know I'm sure I they're not Total paying him Wolf, peanuts. Yeah, I think Total does have a a condo or flat or whatever they want to call. I it only know that because of Drive to Survive. There was right, a right. scene where he was talking to Bottas in his condo in Monaco. Yes. And I think yeah. he also has a home in England, or at least he has a residence there because that's where he they're... probably does because he's at the factory so much. Right. Yeah. I yeah. believe Christian Horner lives in England. He's got a yeah, big yeah. He's horse got like branch. a big homestead there. Yeah. yeah. His wife is really into horses and stuff. Yeah. So, so yeah. Well, that, that's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. So All there right. you go. The lifestyles of the rich and famous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, that was cool. Uh, so we will be back. 
in a week's time with another episode. So thanks so much for listening. And until then, take care of yourselves.